You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. All right. Thank you so much, Carol Masser. Just to reset here, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We begin tonight with the big story. The House of Representatives has voted to impeach President Donald J. Trump for a second time. We are anticipating new comment from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi this hour, and we will bring you those headlines as they happen. Meanwhile, still no word yet on when Speaker Pelosi will deliver the impeach the articles of impeachment impeachment to the Republican-controlled Senate and the timetable for there to be an impeachment trial led, of course, by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. We've got sound on all of these developments, but let's begin with Speaker Pelosi. Here's what she had to say earlier today. We know that the president of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. Meanwhile, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, one of the, the top Republicans in the House of Representatives, also spoke on the floor of the House. We've got sound on that as well. Here he is. But here is what a vote to impeach would do. A vote to impeach would further divide this nation. A vote to impeach will further fan the flames of partisan division. It comes as a remarkable division within the Republican Party continues to emerge as lawmakers, including Liz Cheney, the third highest ranking official in the House of Representatives for the Republicans, voted to impeach President Trump. We have a lawmaker who was uh, just stepped off of the House floor, Congressman Andy Levin. He is a Democrat joining us, and I appreciate your time, Congressman. Uh, in terms of procedure and process, when do you expect, sir, for the Senate to take up these article, the, the the impeachment articles? You know, I think it could happen uh, very fast if uh, there's a, a meeting of the minds between the the parties over there. I mean, the, the Democrats and Republicans over there about how to proceed. Um, so it, it could uh, absolutely happen next week and, and, and as we just, you know, and happen quickly, too. And as we move forward now, less than a week until the inauguration and President-elect Joe Biden is sworn in, Congressman Levin, there have been multiple reports about concerns that the Capitol Police Force, some members of them, might have been helping some of the insurrectionists. Where does that investigation stand and what have lawmakers been briefed about that particular issue? Well, so as you know, Kevin, there uh, in, in 2021 here, there's a tremendous amount 
of evidence, real-time documentary, usually video evidence, of what transpired. The FBI has tens and tens of thousands of, uh, you know, videos and other documents they've been given, and they need time to go through all those. But we know that at least a small number of Capitol Police officers facilitated uh, some of the insurrectionists. But you saw, Kevin, also so many of the Capitol Police officers who were there, they weren't they were outmanned, you know, but they fought bravely uh, to defend us. And that's a point we really need to make. We really need to make. I mean, I, look, I have, in my own experience, you know, I, I never thought I'd see something like this in the U.S. Capitol. I was in Chengdu in China during the Tiananmen Massacre, and I saw people killed before my eyes fighting to, for democracy at the last gasp there. I was in Haiti at the, their first attempt to have a presidential election after the Duvalier dictatorship in 1987, and we came under gunfire at a polling place. The idea that members of Congress were putting on gas masks and hiding under seats in the gallery because a violent uh, group of domestic terrorists were overrunning the Capitol – I must admit, it's still isn't it still hard to believe it happened? And so it's, the, it was a huge security lapse, and it's, that's bad enough in and of itself. And, and I hear that, and, and, and quite honestly, this entire city, and I, and I say the word city, and the staffs and your staffs and, and journalists and, and, and you know everyone connected to the ecosystem that is politics coming out of America's capital, still very much processing. Processing is the right word. Processing the developments of what's transpired over the, nas the last week and looking forward to the inauguration. And you brought up uh, your, your work uh, uh, internationally in geo politically. You are a member, of course, of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. What message has America projected to the world in the past week? Well, you know, let me let me put a different uh, spin on this, Kevin, because I'm someone who believes that, that the U.S. should be more humble in our uh, relations with other countries. You know, a lot of times the biggest kid in the sandbox, the ideal thing is for them to be friendly and not a bully and not lorded over other, the other kids at the sandbox. So I think this is a moment where we said, well, hey, look, we're a democracy like any other. We have our foibles. This was probably our most fragile moment ever, or at least in, since the Civil War. And so, yes, uh, we, we know that we need to work with other countries to grow and protect their own democracies. And, uh, you know, that's that's the way I'm taking it, because there's no question that other countries who want an excuse to, uh, you know, maintain authoritarianism uh, can point to Donald Trump to disregard votes, can point to my Republican colleagues who said, oh, the voters in Arizona or the voters in Pennsylvania, whatever, we'll just replace those votes with who we think should be there. I mean, that. Uh, was a difficult thing. But you know what? We didn't let them win. Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated on January 20th, and we're going to open a new chapter of the American <clears throat> Democratic story where we continue yeah. to perfect our union and expand people's rights.
I've got two more questions for you. I know you've been so generous, Congressman Andy Levin, with your time of Michigan's 9th Congressional District, a Democrat. Uh, are you confident that the Capitol will be protected as well as other state capitals will be protected next week on inauguration? I can't speak for all the state capitals, but I think we are, I'm not ready to say 100% that I'm satisfied with our security setup at the Capitol here yet, but we are way, way ahead of last week. It's completely different. We are deeply engaged as members, Republicans and Democrats, uh, and we're doing it with full participation of the Secret Service, the FBI, the Capitol Police, and the Metropolitan Police and the National Guard. So I think we're really going in the right direction, and I think we'll be there by the 20th for sure. Final question, how do you hope this changes the course of American politics? I mean, what, can, can we get to a place where good comes out of this and, and, we, and we, we heal and at least get a different tone? I do. I mean, I think that we have to say we're all small D Democrats first. Uh, mm. Before we're Republicans, we're Americans. before we're Democrats, yeah, we're Americans, but we're we're Democrats, and me, meaning we support democracy. And so I hope that we stop saying, you know, a good way to win an election is to suppress votes or to have less people vote. I hope we get to the point where we say, let's facilitate everybody voting. I hope we get to the point where we say, you know what, let's have the p person who wins the most votes be the next president of the United States instead of this archaic electoral college system. I hope this spurs more states to join the compact that would make that happen in practice, even without a constitutional amendment. You know, we don't need that many more states to join to say they will give their electoral votes to whichever person wins the majority of the popular vote in the whole country. So I think there are a lot of things we could do to shore up our democracy. Look at Michigan, you know, such a battleground state. In 2018, we passed a referendum to get rid of gerrymandering and have nonpartisan redistricting. We passed another referendum to let everybody vote safely at home via absentee ballot and to make it easier for college students and others to vote. And that really mattered in the 2020 election. So we know how to improve our democracy. And I'm, we're just going to keep fighting to do it. And the more participation, the better. I mean, I think that's the biggest lesson. Um, Congress, out of this election and that we have to protect everyone's right to participate in democracy. Congressman Andy Levin, thank you so much for your time. You, he is, of course, the uh, Democratic representative from Michigan's 9th uh, Congressional District. He is also a former labor organizer and lawyer uh, uh, talking to us about a, a very uh, another historic day uh, from Washington, D.C. Just to reset here, I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined uh, by... Uh, I'm, I'm joined by Rick Davis. He is a partner at Stone Court Capital. He is also a Bloomberg politics contributor. And Rick, you know, you hear that conversation uh, with Congressman Levin. I, I thought it was really powerful to hear him uh, speak about his experiences on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and his international travel uh, and, and, and the Communist Party of China and what image America projected to the world this week. Yeah, we sometimes forget that we are the shining star of liberty and democracy around the world. And when you go to places like uh, the congressman mentioned uh, and see how they treat their people, uh, there's a real yearning to ensure that our democracy appears 
healthy to the rest of the world. And that question you asked him about how do how does America look? And he said, well, let's be more humble is, I think, terrific advice because I've had the luck of traveling around the world uh, doing public policy and business. And, and it is something I think people want us to be successful, but they want us to be humble in the process of doing that. But they want us strong and they want to depend upon our democracy. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So I think that's an incredible, incredible point in terms of the uh, humility of the of the American moment that we find ourselves in, which is how does how does America uh, heal, Rick? And particularly, I'm thinking of the Republicans who voted to impeach. President Trump, who are facing criticism from within their own caucus, from the likes of Congressman Matt Gates, for example, how does that process, and I mean this from a from a from a you know a, a stoic perspective, how does that process move forward? What are the next steps in that process? Well, I think right now we're still into reconciliation, right? I mean, after today's vote, Republican caucus will look inward. And uh, there'll be uh, some reaction to the 10 Republicans who voted for impeachment. Uh, there will also be an examination of the roles of some of these Republicans in what happened a week ago, uh, whether or not there were members of Congress who actually aided and abetted the attack on the Congress. And, and, and that has to run through the system. Uh, right now, everyone in the House is feeling very defensive that uh, they don't want to be considered part of an insurrection uh, but they're frustrated, you know, by the politics of the day. And and now there's going to be a split in the caucus with those people who actively supported impeachment. So it's it's a very complex environment uh, right now inside the Republican caucus. And I would say a real test for the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, if he wants to be potentially speaker in two years, if the Republicans regain control of the, of the House, he's going to have to show that he can mend those fences. Well, a leader has to emerge. And, and right now, this is a party without question, without a leader. Uh, Rick, just to, to, to kind of give people a glimpse behind the scenes, I think what we're tapping into, so, much of the, so many of the questions that I get from our audience pertain to, uh, I think it would be helpful to, to give a, a glimpse behind the scenes and how the process plays out in a particular member's office, right? I mean, uh, I always say that the elected officials in many ways are like CEOs. They have a staff uh, and they candidly often have two teams. They have their uh, team back home uh, in, in their constituents' offices, and then they also have uh, their their Senate or their House office in Washington, D.C. If it's an election year, add in a third team, which is the election campaign. 
I bring that up because based on all of the reporting I've done over the past week, ever since this horrific incident occurred, the, the home office of deeply conservative districts are at odds with the Washington, D.C. office. The Washington, D.C. office is saying the Republican Party has to move on has to, from Trump, has to, to move in a different direction, has to try to look for a different direction. But the ultra-conservatives in these districts are saying, wait a minute, President Trump's message is still resonating uh, with, with the elected officials' uh, 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 constituents. Rick Davis, my question to you, some, one of the most experienced political you know, uh, strategists of our era, how does a leader balance both of those issues? Well, that, you, you bring up an incredibly important point that is overlaid with there are different sets of facts now. In the old days, those used to be important pressure points, the district at home and what they need from the member versus the politics of Washington and the, and the, and the caucus, you know, what the leadership is telling them to do. Now you have an additional set of uh, pressures, which is the president of the United States told my voters in my district, who tend to believe the president of the United States because they're Republican voters, that they have one set of facts, that the election was stolen, that it was you know, improperly taken, that the electoral votes were stolen from him, you know, that it was an illegitimate election. And then you have Washington, and have just gone through this insurrection at the Capitol, who are telling you a totally different set of facts, that none of these, none of the evidence was presented that it was an illegitimate election, that repeated Republican uh, judges threw this out in the states that were contested. And at the time the electoral votes were counted, there were no contests. And so you have a member who has to reconcile not just competing constituencies, but a competing set of facts. And I would say it would help every single one of these members, if we actually enter a period of time where we all work off the same unified set of facts. And say off social media. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer issuing a statement uh, about a page long. Uh, he says in this statement, quote, Donald Trump has deservedly become the first president in American history to bear the stain of impeachment twice over. Uh, Minority Leader Schumer goes on to say, quote, a Senate trial can begin immediately with agreement from the current Senate Majority Leader to reconvene the Senate for an emergency session or it will begin after, where, after January 19th. But make no mistake, there will be an impeachment trial in the United States Senate. There will be a vote on convicting the president for high crimes and misdemeanors. And if the president is convicted, there will be a vote on barring him from running again. Uh, so there you have it. Likely the, uh, uh, well, the incoming Senate uh, and Leader McConnell, some more pressure being put on Leader McConnell from the Democrats. Let's bring into this conversation Brandon Neal, who is a Democratic strategist who previously worked in the Obama administration. Brandon is also a former political director for the DNC in 2016 and the former deputy chief of staff and political advisor uh, and senior advisor to Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign. Brandon, what pressure is now on the Senate in terms of the process of there being a Senate trial now that President Trump has been impeached again? Hey, well, thanks for having me on, Kevin. I mean, look, I think let's just set the tone. So next week at this time, we have a new president. Joseph R. Biden will be the president, the 46th president of the United States at this time. So I think all action and all eyes are on next week. I think moving forward, there will be uh, room for a conversation to focus on the impeachment. But I think 
with the new Biden administration, they will be focused on the first 100 days in terms of his administration. Um, President Biden, elect, elect Biden, has talked about his agenda. You know, tomorrow talking about uh, the COVID response in terms of vaccination and what the plan is for the next 100 days. He also talked about what he plans to roll out in terms of working with the uh, with members of Congress as it relates to his agenda. But I think that you know he's done a great job of not focusing on this particular you know impeachment and focusing on the hearing. And he's really going to rely on the Senate, uh, the new leadership to come in and take advisement of the Senate. Let me let me follow up in terms of the process, because a Senate impeachment trial, of course, it will will take up all of the political oxygen in the room for for for, uh, so to speak, uh, of of Washington, D.C. for a trial, a trial as as multiple uh, experts have, have come out and said is incredibly important to building a narrative, finding evidence, getting testimony and whatnot. But. President-elect Biden still needs his confirmations confirmed so that he can have a cabinet, so that he can govern. Uh, it, it's been reported that uh, President-elect Biden spoke with Leader McConnell about having a dual track, so to speak, of there being a trial along with confirmation proceedings. Do you know, based on your conversations, Brandon Neal, uh, with Democrats, that are you confident that that dual track uh, can, can, uh, can exist uh, at such an incredibly tense political time? I do. I mean, I have confidence in the president-elect, and I have confidence in our incoming leadership. You know, I think with uh, Senator McConnell and his leadership, I think he has done a unique job of signaling uh, where he stands where and how he wants this current president out uh, without saying it. You know, we see yesterday, or we saw yesterday with uh, Senator Cheney and her full support uh, coming out, and also um, Senator McConnell, McConnell's wife, uh, resigning from her post in the cabinet, I think that there are a lot more people who are bored with his impeachment than we than we think uh, that we're aware of publicly. And I also think that there's a history between the president-elect and Leader McConnell as well, too, working together side by side in the Senate and establishing a relationship um, and having that rapport. So I definitely think that Senator uh, McConnell, Leader McConnell, wants to put this behind us and move forward, so that way we can invest in the American people. And, 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 and do what we do best as Americans and, and Americans best. Hey, Brandon, this is uh, Rick Davis. Thanks for coming on. And it's a really good point hey, about the uh, willingness of Mitch McConnell, who's not been known for his bipartisanship throughout his uh, leadership, uh, is is seemingly trying to make a, a, a partnership with, with Joe Biden. I mean, we know from reports that they've already talked about what a likely stimulus package might look like and how Joe Biden is looking to have Republican support for a stimulus package, even though he's got Democrat control of both the House and the Senate. And 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 I think it's worth looking into your thoughts about uh, who will be the new majority leader, Chuck Schumer, and how he may uh, conduct uh, this trial and, and confirmations for the Biden administration at the same time. Because shortly after the swearing in, um, uh, there'll be a vote uh, in the Senate and 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 Chuck Schumer will be the one who runs the uh, the impeachment trial. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, Senator Schumer has definitely been an exemplar in the field of leadership, and and it's not his first time in the first you know at the rodeo. So I think that you know he definitely will be inclusive and you know someone who we can trust to make sure we're doing the right thing and working in tandem with uh, both sides of the aisle and also the incoming president to make sure things are are done correctly. But I want to touch on something you mentioned during your last segment in terms of leadership in the district and all versus D.C. You know, when I was uh, 
political director for Karen Bass. I work directly with the district office, and also clearly we work directly with the D.C. office. And my job was to unite to be a liaison between both offices. Oftentimes, you know, we're all on the same side, but really communicate what's happening from top down in terms of messaging and making sure uh, the people and the constituents in the district fully understand what's happening. And so one of the things you talked about is when I underscore what I think worked very well um, in District 37 under the leadership of Karen Bass is that the leader herself would conduct these town hall meetings that happen on a monthly basis and often answer questions directly herself and have that communication where there was a dialogue. So that way there was no ambiguity in terms of what was happening on the district level, what's happening here in D.C., to make sure people were on the same page. So I think that type of leadership and that type of style will work well with any other districts as well, too, just in terms of merging, merging both uh, staff offices together. And fully but see, this is fascinating. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Tom Keene. I'm going to rip up the script for a second because, Brandon, this is fascinating because it really offers a glimpse into how an elected official and a principal as the industry term would go, how their job is actually governed uh, and their day-to-day, hour-by-hour job is. I mean, how has the, the industry, not the parties, the industry as a whole, of, of the media is a massive part of the changes with social media, the changes in cable news, the changes in uh, print media, and, and the viral news cycle of journalism jobs. How has all of that made it more difficult the fundraising, the money, how has it made it more difficult for an elected official to to, to navigate those two uh, factions of their offices? Brandon Neal. Sure. Well, look, it's, it's difficult, you know, in the sense of not knowing what's factual, what's not factual. But our job and the member's job is to actually tell the facts and tell the truth. And so between the media and between, you know, all of the potential uh, noise, so to speak, that can come from different, you know, different areas, I think, that can distract one's viewpoint. I think it's important for the leader to provide those facts. And, you know, someone like the leader uh, Bash and other leaders that I know, you know, within the, uh, within, within the party have done a great job and continue to do that. But I think it's really, you know, sticking to the facts and sticking to the communication and accountability within, within your district. You know, I think something. Go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say what Brendan was saying about these uh, ways these members communicate. Uh, When they get back, and this will probably be after the the uh, case against uh, Trump in the Senate, when they all go home for their district meetings and their their town halls, those town halls are going to be some of the most fascinating exercise in political discourse you'll ever see in your lifetime, considering what's happened since the last time these folks saw their districts. Well, and it raises security concerns. And just to bring everybody up to speed, I mean, we've been hearing all day about the and and seeing here in Washington, D.C., the increased presence uh, to protect the Capitol, uh, the various members of the National Guard, upwards of the thousands, uh, barricades built around the United States Capitol. I I, I said this uh, to a friend when I was uh, before coming on air. I have never I have I've had the privilege to travel the world. Uh, in global f- uh, to cover global forums, I have never in my never as a reporter seen such uh, security measures in place as I have in this in, in Washington D.C. ever since last week. Uh, and oh, yeah. it, I mean, Brent, Brandon, do you agree with that? I know you're D.C. based oh, as well. Absolutely, I live on Capitol Hill. I live a one I live one mile away from the Capitol. Every night when I go to bed, 
and say my prayers and get on my knees. I look at the Capitol. It's very majestic. There's actually a light shining on the Capitol as I say my prayers every night. I'm very close to it. It looks unrecognizable now. My running route, when I run every morning, I run by the Capitol, run down to the Capitol, run down to the mall. Everything's barricaded. You see about 20 to 30 um, armed guards and in, in, in several different, 20 to 30 groups of different pockets of groups scattered throughout the entire Capitol. Um, and at least, I would say at least 500 you know, to 1,000 armed guards who are there. It's unrecognizable and it's very unfortunate because obviously this is the... Uh, the great one of the greatest cities uh, we have in this country, and it's just sad that they have now, because of what happened last week, my neighborhood is now truly affected. Um, and that is so well said. I mean, it's so unfortunate. It's so well said, but you really just captured, I think, what I've been trying to. You, you did it better than me, Brandon. You just, you just, did, oh. you just said what I wanted to say for the past week. <laughs> Brandon Neal, I mean, uh, no, but seriously, because page. it is, yeah. it, it, and and it's and it's. I, I I've been trying to think of our audience, Rick Davis, in terms of you know the business community, and 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 I keep going back to, uh, should this you know heaven forbid have happens on Wall Street and and the presence. That's the only parallel that I can draw uh, in terms of trying to describe just the significant uh, ethos shift. Uh, in the nation's capital over the last week, Rick Davis. Yeah, no, that's r- exactly right, Kevin. And and I agree with you, Brendan. I think you just summed up what is in the hearts of so many people who are living in the district who who saw the the rape of the Capitol and and now the resulting security uh, barricades that are up. But but like after nine eleven, like after you know other assaults upon our institutions, the the thing that you have to look forward to is the endearing pride that the American public has at reconstructing, you know, at pulling together and, and finding a way to move forward some, some, some degree in unison. And I, I really look forward to Joe Biden's speech uh, uh, when he gets sworn into office because there'll be no better time in current American history for a leader to try and pull the country back together. And he campaigned on unity. And, and I think as a retrospective of what's happened, I think this is the exact time for that kind of speech. Rick, let me just follow up with you here, because and, and all day in, in prepping for the show, I really thought, how do I how do I capture, I think, what millions of Americans are concerned about in the sense they're concerned, obviously, about the state of affairs, but they're also concerned about the notion that here we have a situation where President-elect Joe Biden won. There was no conspiracy. Uh, he was just impeached uh, by the by the House of Representatives for a second time for inciting the mob uh, uh, on the Capitol. You have 70-plus million Americans who just over two months ago voted for uh, President Trump, and they voted for conservatism. They did not vote for a mob to to. to to insurrect to, for the insurrection. They did not vote for that insurrection. How do we heal as a country, Rick Davis, and how do Republicans navigate this while also balancing millions of Americans who voted for the conservative ideologies and, and do not want to feel blamed for what happened? And I don't even know. I, I think you know what I'm trying to get at. Yep. And I and I think today, if you watched any of the speeches on the floor of the House, you have a very heated situation. You have the second impeachment trial of uh, a pre- this president in his term. 
obviously, everyone is shaken to the core by the events of a week ago, and and it was pretty civil. I mean, you know, when you look at this trial, uh, this debate in the House compared to uh, the one that occurred uh, a year into the presidency, it was night and day. And and you can only hope that 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 kind of decorum, even though members disagreed, fair enough, uh, they kept their their comments to being below uh, a red-hot temperature, which is what it's been lately. And so hopefully we're entering a new era. Bad things can result in good outcomes. And and that could be uh, the great turning point if Joe Biden is able to uh, use his leadership skills right now for the country's healing and the members take the hand that's given to them. All right. I want to say thank you to Brandon Neal, who was a senior advisor on Pete Buttigieg's uh, presidential campaign. Thank you so much, Brandon, uh, for your time. It's deeply appreciated. Let's just reset here because coming up, we're going to be joined by Pennsylvania's uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, uh, who is a Democrat. And we're going to ask him about the legal process forward that many states like Pennsylvania are pursuing as it relates to getting more information about who perpetrated uh, the process of the conspiracy. Uh, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by Rick Davis, who is a Bloomberg Politics uh, contributor. He is also the former campaign manager to John McCain's presidential campaign. Uh, The big story, of course, tonight, the House of Representatives has voted to impeach President Donald J. Trump for a second time. It comes following remarkable testimony on the floor of the United States House, and we've got sound on tape from that. Let's take a listen. If these actions, he hasn't had any hearings, he hasn't had any, he doesn't need any long, drawn-out consideration. If these actions are not worthy of impeachment, then what is an impeachable offense. And Democrats can investigate the President of the United States as Mr. Hoyer went through, try to impeach him, investigate him for four years, but will not look at an election that 80 million Americans, half the electorate, 80 million Republicans and Democrats have their doubts about. We must impeach and remove this President from the office immediately so that he cannot be a threat to our democracy. I can think of no action the House can take that's more likely to further divide the American people than the action we are contemplating today. There you have it. And, and in terms of the next process moving forward, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has already issued a statement in which he said that there will, in fact, be a trial in the Senate. He urged Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to reconvene the Senate before January 20th, the date of President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration. My colleagues diving into the Bloomberg Terminal reporting as that Leader McConnell has told Republican senators that he's reached no decision on whether he'll vote to convict President Donald Trump on the the House's impeachment charge, but that he doesn't plan to call an emergency session to begin the Senate trial before January 19th. Uh, joining us now is the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, a Democrat, John Fetterman. And uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor, thank you for joining us. And uh, how well, have the developments of the past week played out and the past day played out uh, in a state like Pennsylvania, which was uh, mm-hmm. so crucial, unfortunately, uh, to yep. the lead up of the insurrection of last week? Well, I mean, that, that's a great question. And um, the, the bottom line is uh, security. Uh, I was just in Harrisburg today. Uh, we have you know, armed soldiers with automatic weapons uh, there 
uh, in, in and around the Capitol, you know, in a show of force and uh, a complete revamping of the security for the Capitol since the events of last Wednesday that everyone was uh, you know, obviously so shaken up by. Uh, on the, the prior Tuesday before that, you know, we had a, a bit of a, a, a dust up in the Senate that where they ejected me from the chamber. But we also had a couple hundred angry Trump protesters uh, on the, the front of the Capitol that could have easily gone a similar route. So I think everybody's now uh, has a clear understanding that, you know, we can't tolerate any more of that kind of insurrection and that kind of rioting. And I think, you know, certainly in Harrisburg, uh, appropriate steps have been taken. And I don't think you're going to see anything like that manifest itself in Harrisburg. But I am also utterly convinced, too, that the president will retain a strong base of support regardless of how the impeachment ultimately plays out, because that is the kind of power he wields over his you know, core group of supporters, you know, at least earlier, earlier in the hour, I spoke with Congressman Andy Levin. He's a Democrat from Michigan. And uh, there's now been this open uh, conversation about whether or not there were any, unfortunately, Capitol Police officers who were uh, he used the word the congressman did uh, sympathetic in terms of uh, what the, uh, the the mob had had perpetuated. He was also, of course, very very careful to praise the the, the far more who were heroes in that act uh, of 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 helping to save lives uh, of the lawmakers to stop the mob. Uh, but there now is this open investigation looking into uh, Lieutenant Governor. Uh, communication between uh, these individuals as well as law enforcement. And from your vantage point at a state level, you know this, the, the country is in a state of, of uh, concern, rightfully so, about Inauguration Day that state capitals are protected. Here in Washington, D.C., there is a heavy, heavy military force to protect the nation's capital. So walk us through the process of what elected officials and leaders should be doing to protect their state capitals in the week leading up. Well, I, I, I think, you know, reaching out to the other side and making sure that the members of the Republican Party are firmly in, in lockstep with this idea that violence is, uh, unacceptable, any kind of insurrection, any kind of anything. This idea that Joe Biden may not be your president, but he will be the president, and emphasizing all of that. We had a state, we have a state senator in our chamber that uh, is being accused of helping participate or plan, and he he paid for a lot of buses that brought people down. And um, uh, you know, there's uh, been a lot of calls for his resignation from the Democratic side not so much from the Republican side at, at this point, but, but uh, you know, leadership, at least in, in the Pennsylvania House and Senate, you know, strongly condemned the actions of what happened on the 6th, and uh, everyone is on board with the, the heightened security pro, uh, protocols and, you know, all of these last-minute challenges and all of this rhetoric, I, I think, has changed to the point where now Joe Biden won, and I think that is critical to getting to a point where, we um, are, are not going to be nearly the kind of contentious state anymore. I think the most important thing that's happened, quite frankly, is deplatforming the president. I think kicking him off Twitter was the right call. And I say that as an absolute you know, free speech uh, absolutist. But what he has been doing for the last two months is not free speech. He was yelling fire in a crowded theater when there was none. 
And this idea, because Pennsylvania was so often the target, we had a full, free, and secure election. And, you know, anything that was said contrary to that was a lie. And everyone knows that that was true. And I think one of the important lessons we need to remember is that 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 kind of speech is not protected. That kind of speech is not and cannot be tolerated in a platform that can spread to 90 million people instantaneously the way it has. So I think uh, deplatforming the president and some of these other individuals uh, is going to also remove a lot of the the fuel that could could, uh, fire up uh, that base. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, this is Rick Davis. And I want to I want to pick upon that point because I think it's really important to the debate that we even heard on the floor of the House today. Because so many Republicans go down to the well and say, "Look, you know, it's not just me. It's fifty percent of our country doesn't have confidence in this election." Uh, but partly is, and maybe solely because. Those are the same people who told them they shouldn't have confidence in this election, yep. right? When you go out to the American public and you say this election was stolen, they're likely to believe their leaders. And so my question, because it's ground zero in, in, in Pennsylvania for you, and this point about sort of what what's allowed on the Internet and what's not, um, how do you use the tools of social media and, and, and leadership to try and create a set of facts around something like an election, it was either it was either illicit or not, right? I mean, there's no real two ways about it. And how do you how can we avoid this this sort of effort on the part of of office holders specifically to to use these kinds of facts uh, to divide the country? Because in Pennsylvania, I suppose it's a microcosm of the rest of the country. If you believe your local congressman or your local senator or your local state senator and they tell you the election was stolen, you're going to believe them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think when, when the postmortem is done and all of this and, and whatever, I think that would be one of the, 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 the major fall of failings. Um, like Twitter, for example, when, when, when the president would tweet out rigged election, you know, and they would just slap that blue label on it. This is in dispute. And it's like, well, it, it's not in dispute. It's not in dispute, like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it, it, I liken it to a warning on a pack of cigarettes. I mean, it doesn't stop you from buying cigarettes, and no one pays attention to it. So, like, it, it, they should have immediately deleted the tweet. It's like, you're, you are not allowed to yell fire in a crowded theater. End of story. You know, saying it's in dispute, saying one plus one equals three is not in dispute. It's one it equals two. I mean... So you're not allowed to say that. It's like that is not, again, not free speech. That is um, destructive lies, and, and we saw what happens when that is unchecked. And this idea that slapping a blue label saying this is in dispute it does or accomplishes anything is, is a joke. And, and I all think right, that stay right there, Lieutenant Governor. Stay right there because we're going to pick up this conversation with Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis of Stonecourt Capital. He's a partner at Stonecourt Capital. And, of course, he is also the uh, former uh, presidential campaign uh, chairman for uh, John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. Stories that we're monitoring this hour, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi expected to deliver some type of remarks following the impeachment, second impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. We are also hearing that we should get some type of statement sometime this evening, most likely, from President Trump uh, via video form. I'm joined by Pennsylvania's Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Uh, He is a Democrat. Uh, I, I want to ask you about this, Lieutenant Governor, because it has been a really uh, difficult week, I think, for, for everyone, as we all are still reeling mm-hmm. from the unfortunate, uh, horrific incident at the Capitol last week. But uh, one of the things in your biography, there are there are millions of American students right now who either just graduated college or they just graduated grad school. They're facing such an uncertain economic uh a situation forecast. Uh, you were very involved with AmeriCorps, and you were very involved uh, with Big Brothers and Big Sisters, uh, and mentoring actually uh, a child who lost his father to AIDS, uh, whose mother also was battling the disease. How important of a role did AmeriCorps play in your pre-Harvard education? Uh, and and you know what what do you think, especially parents who might be listening to this in their car on their way home from work? Maybe they can tell their 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 young their their kids who are just starting out some different options to get through this pandemic. Oh well, a short answer is, is that I, I wouldn't be lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania if it wasn't for AmeriCorps because it, it offered me an opportunity to explore some of the thoughts and ideas about inequality in our country and. And, you know, just how un, uh, unequal these outcomes can be based simply on the zip code in which you're born into and being able to work and move uh, and act against that. And that's what AmeriCorps, I was in the second class of, of AmeriCorps in 1995, and it allowed me to, to do a lot of that. And a lot of the things that, that were I learned and that were important to distinctions that I, I picked up during that time in AmeriCorps informs me to this day. And. And, uh, you know, for students uh, that are coming out in circumstances like that, you know, service is, is almost never a, a bad option. I, I think it's, it's really an important one, and especially now because of, of how deeply divided we are. I think, you know, working towards gathering everything up and, and coming to a better place where service uh, is never been needed more than it is right now, quite, quite frankly. It's, it's, a, it's a high, no, noble calling. And it affords you to, to dedicate a couple years of your life, and you legitimately get far more back than 
than you give. And, and I can just speak to how critical it was to, to me and my understanding um, of a lot of complex public, public policy issues. And it made my, my graduate work at, at the Kennedy School that much better. And it, I think I'd like to believe it made me a much better mayor and lieutenant governor. Lieutenant Governor, I think that's such a underappreciated uh, aspect. You know, John McCain used to talk about it constantly on the campaign trail, serving causes greater than your self-interest. And in fact, AmeriCorps played an important role in his uh, campaign. You know, he was big on doing uh, town halls, and there were always a passel of AmeriCorps kids uh, right in front of the town hall. And he would always ask them to come up on the stage. He'd give them first questions. He'd bring them on the bus. Uh, and his whole point was we should challenge America to serve these causes, you know, and this is we talk a lot about how do you heal? You heal by getting people involved in causes like this. They're a lot less likely to storm the Capitol if they've just been through an AmeriCorps program. And they're, yeah, they're, you know, well said and service and humility two themes that have emerged uh, from the past uh, hour on this program. Let me let me follow up here, uh, Lieutenant Governor, and bring it back to the to the events of, of the immediacy. Uh, I spoke with the source and I can't stop thinking of what the source told me on the Republican side earlier this week, which was that Rudy Giuliani has summoned his former chief of staff from his time in the New York City's mayor's office in order to is one of his closest long term advisors to Washington, D.C., in order to discuss, in order to talk about what likely is going to be legal uncertainty for not only Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon, and others uh, who made comments about the conspiracy theories pertaining to uh, the election of 2020. Pennsylvania was obviously at the forefront of many of those comments. Is it likely that... uh, People in your state of Pennsylvania will bring lawsuits against uh, people like Rudy Giuliani and others uh, for the comments that they made. Well, I, I certainly, I certainly would support that. I, I have to tell you, it's it, um, you know, for Pennsylvania, we had record turnout and we had three documented cases of voter fraud. That's it, three criminally charged cases. The fact that they were all voting for Trump, you know, having dead relatives vote. You know, it might be kind of humorous, but it, it illustrated how rare and impossible it is to perpetrate voter fraud, especially on, on a large scale. So, like, there wasn't one more state in this union that was more maligned than Pennsylvania, and we actually had an epic, smooth election that demonstrated that it, it worked. And and uh, I sure hope so. There needs to be, again, fallout and ramifications because what, what uh, Mr. Giuliani and others said was not and never was free speech. That was malicious and, and, and uh, destructive speech that was all designed to incite and outrage and divide. And it all came home to roost last Wednesday. And people need to be held accountable to that. You can't say, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't like, oh, of course you did. You have been beating those drums for two months solid that Pennsylvania is rigged and we're cheating and we're lying, despite, you know, affirmation from every court, even the Supreme Court, with three justices appointed by the president himself, all said that this is garbage and there is no merit to this. And still they persisted. In fact, if he had a Twitter account, I guarantee you still he'd be saying the same things and all they would do is slap that ridiculous label that this is in dispute. It's like, no, it's not a dispute. You are a liar. And you are 
you're a traitor. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, you know, the, the tre- peaceful transfer of power underpins our entire nation, and they've been attacking that for the last, you know, two months this, now in Pennsylvania. This is an important. This is an important follow-up question, Lieutenant Governor, because you were the mayor of Braddock, and and you know you've opened the door to running for Senate in Pennsylvania uh, in 2022. How will you take your message to uh, the thousands of Americans or Pennsylvanians who voted for President Trump, who are still standing by President Trump, who are that blue-collar, working-class, Delco type of vote? And uh, how will you take that message to people who adamantly disagree with what you just said? And what I would say is that it, it, no matter how fervently you believe that there was fraud, I can assure you there wasn't. You know, we had a open, transparent election. And there's any number of, of examples, uh, like you know, Representative Fitzpatrick winning his election by 13 points, but Joe Biden carrying his district. I mean, there's any logical things. But at, at the core, I think most people acknowledge that, that Joe Biden did win fair and square. And, and that's the message. I, I'm going to stand in front of anyone. It's like, you can tell me that Joe Biden isn't your president. And I understand and even respect that. But Joe Biden is the president. And you want to know why? Because he won a free, fair, and secure election in Pennsylvania. And I wouldn't stand here before you if, if it wasn't true. And the simple fact is, you know, uh, American democracy worked. We had a lot of great actors both on both sides. We had some, some heroes rise to the occasion. And we the guardrails held. And and I would hope that I'm not going to reach everybody in that regard. But I know there are a lot of those folks on that side that are reachable. And 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 um, I think they know that it went too far and we need to chart a different course. And those are the people that I'm going to, to hopefully reach, because I've been consistent with my message ever since the election. And I have been proven right again and again and again. And you'd have to believe that the Supreme Court on down is in league and conspiracy with me in Pennsylvania to cling to that belief that we had an election result that was in any way rigged. Governor, uh, you pick up on a note that uh, is, I think, important in talking about how uh, much of a swing state Pennsylvania is now. And, and what what are what's the hot button issue that that politicians need to address now? You know, as we pivot away from these election issues, we get a new administration in Washington you're at home. You've got a, a, a state to run, uh, potentially a, a race to run in the future. Uh, if there's one thing, what is it? Is it is it the economy? Is it COVID? Is it some combination of those things? Is it something else? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my God, if we had a foreign nation or a rogue army kill nearly 400,000 of our fellow uh, citizens, we would be outraged and we would be unified and we would be looking to, 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 to pay back. And but we've, we've allowed a virus to, to steal four, almost 400,000 lives across, and it's, all, it's still going. And it's like, you know, the, the fact that the tragedy, uh, other than, than is that we made each other the enemy, and that's the kind of rhetoric. And, and we've got to do that first and foremost with, uh, before we do anything else, really, is stop arguing yeah. about mess. You know, we got to leave it. We, okay. We got no lieutenant governor. I just said we had to leave it there, and and you know it wouldn't be me if I didn't say that I you were right about the Pittsburgh Steelers faring better than my <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, I look forward to next year, and maybe I'll have a different outcome. 
All right, Lieutenant Governor, come back on anytime. John Fetterman, uh, he is, of course, the Democratic Lieutenant Governor, now running for Senate in Pennsylvania, uh, most likely opening that door. Uh, it's a Pat Toomey seat. He's not running for re-election. Fascinating, fascinating. That does it for me. Thank you for listening, as well as for Rick Davis. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.